Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Stocks and Savings podcast. I'm Andrea. I'm Jamie. And today we're going to talk about fire. No, I'm not talking about actual fire or the fire festival. Who remembers that mess, huh? We're going to talk about the financial independence retire early movement. As a disclaimer, remember that nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. Always do your own research and apply your own judgment when investing. Jamie, do you want to tell us what fire is? So, as you mentioned, we're not talking about that thing that you roast marshmallows on. Actually, FIRE, or F-I-R-E, stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the FIRE movement advocates for a frugal lifestyle with the goal of accumulating assets that will eventually pay for your living expenses and thereby enable you to retire early. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. That doesn't sound too bad. And the goal is to replace the active income from your place of work, which is, you know, normally a nine to five job that takes up, I don't know, five days of every week of your life with passive income from your investments, real estate and other sources. A popular way to calculate your FIRE number, the value of your investments that would enable you to retire, is to use the 4% rule as a rough guideline. The 4% rule says that you can safely withdraw 4% of your investments the year you decide to retire and then adjust for inflation each subsequent year for 30 years. This way, you would supposedly never run out of money. The 4% rule was introduced by the financial advisor William Bengen after he conducted a study on a 60-40 stock bond portfolio in the 1990s. Now, we won't get into all the mathematical detail of why this is more of a rough estimate rather than a firm rule, but others have since said that using a 3% withdrawal rate would provide a better estimate if the goal is to retire completely and never work again. Okay, so just to put some numbers behind that, if we use the 4% rule, then this would mean if you had a million pounds by the time you wanted to retire and you wanted to live off that for 30 years, you could withdraw 4% of that each year, which is £40,000 annually. Now, if there's any quick mathematicians in here, you might realise that 40,000 times 30 years is £1.2 million. And the reason for this is that that £1 million that's put aside is invested in this stock and bond hypothetical portfolio. So that money is still growing as well. And another way that you can also calculate this is, say you know you want to live off £40,000 a year and you want to know how much you need to have saved up for retirement. You just have to take that £40,000 number and divide it by 4% which is the same thing as multiplying it by 25. So just a few numbers there to add a little bit of context. And plus, if you want to start figuring out your fire number. Yes, plus, I think this shows the power of investing versus saving. Based on your last formula, it means that you only have to have invested 25 times the amount that you want to retire on in order to live off for 30 years. And that is due to the power of investing, because it's not a linear process, it compounds. Exactly. Plus, as you kind of mentioned in the beginning, you're not actually going to be withdrawing £40,000 a year, but that 40000 is going to increase every single year due to the impact of inflation. So that's why having your £1 million pot invested in a stock and bond portfolio will help keep that money growing, and that's how you can stretch out to last for 30 years. Okay, so that sounds good, but how can you actually achieve FIRE? Simply put, it's either through increasing your income or decreasing your expenses. Personally, I find the best way to achieve fire is with a match. No? Crickets. Can we put a cricket sound? (laughs) I've not figured out sound effects yet. Okay, so let's start with the ways through which you can increase your income. Jamie, give me your best tip through which someone could increase their income. Am I really the best person to be asking? I have successfully significantly reduced my income this year. Well, you are the only person I can ask, so... Oh, right. So I'm, I'm your only choice. I'm your last option and only option. Which also makes me your first option, so I'll and take that. And the best option. And the best option. Okay, fine. Well, <laughs> how can you increase your income? I can do this. So one way that you can do this is to change jobs frequently. And I feel like this is more appropriate for someone that is just beginning their career. Because, I mean, I used to work in a corporate job. You still do. 
And if we look at some of the people that are a bit higher up the hierarchy, I think we can see a lot of people that have been at that company for a very long time. So maybe in that respect, it's useful to stick with the same company, particularly if you're aiming for a really senior role. But I think when you're just starting out in your career, it can be very useful to switch roles quite frequently, maybe every one and a half to two years. As I have. As you have. Well, it sounds like I've been working for a long time. I've only been working for four years, so I don't know. Yeah, and part of that was on a grad scheme where you had to do three jobs in two years anyway. Oh, well. And just to provide some context to that advice, I think it was a study by Forbes that looked at employees who change job every two to three years and employees who stay loyal to their company. And it found that the employees who stay loyal to the company actually earn about 50% less during their lifetimes compared to the ones who job hop, which is crazy. That is wild. So I guess I would say there are plenty of reasons to stick with your current employer and to stick in your current role. But just know that higher salaries are probably not the reason. And if you do decide to stay with the same employer, one solution could be to ask for promotions frequently. So not only every year when you're doing your annual development review, but I don't know, every quarter, for example, or every six months, or whenever you feel like you've achieved a lot in your current role, you deserve to charge your worth. Very true. And I do that as well. Oh, actually, <laughs> a little story. Um, Ooh, so story time. So I did just have a conversation with my manager about my pay. And a few months ago, I had asked for a raise. And the current economic times are kind of difficult. My manager wasn't exactly sure that he, he'll be able to give me a substantial raise. But he just let me know today that he was able to give me a 5% raise. And that is given the fact that the average salary increase in the company was 3%, as he informed me. So, you know, the worst thing that can happen if you ask for a raise is for them to say no. But you're basically back to square one. It quite literally pays to ask. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, in fairness, your manager kind of said, well, he didn't, he didn't say no, but it was more like, well, we'll park this and talk about it another time. And yet you still managed to get a 5% you know, annual salary bump where the company average was just 3%. So even though it was kind of like sidelined, you still did manage to get a little something. Yeah, and he did mention today, to be fair, that it's still on his radar. He's going to look into it in the next few months. So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, it was something. So speaking of promotions and getting paid more, one of the other ways that you can go about trying to achieve this is by upskilling yourself. And this is advice that we've kind of taken from one of the greatest investors of all time, Mr. Warren Buffett, who was asked at Berkshire Hathaway's annual conference by someone, basically, what is the best investment in this inflationary period? Now, first of all, I love the confidence of someone to basically go up to Warren Buffett and say, hey, do you fancy telling me what to invest in? As if he was going to turn around and say, Apple, which to be fair, I mean, he, he probably wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he kind of says that through his actions. But unsurprisingly, he didn't actually offer this person advice on what stocks they should be investing in. But he instead said that the best way to combat inflation and the best investment to combat inflation is to invest in yourself. Now, I know that sounds like something that you might find on a self-help poster in the wall of your manager's office, but it is actually great advice because the skills that you can learn they will stick with you and they can drive your earning power upwards. If you have a skill or a profession that is necessary to help the economy function, then there will always be demand for you. You see a lot of people that have done so, so well for themselves through learning a trade. For example, electricians, plumbers, stuff like that. Particularly ones that have gone on to own their own business, I know have done extremely well for themselves. So it just goes to show that learning really can boost your earnings potential. Yes, exactly. And I think the words that Warren Buffett used when he gave that advice was that those skills cannot be inflated away from you. Well, it's useful to have a tangible skill. Um, so like a trade, for example, or maybe you're a uh, software developer, which is great nowadays, I think it's also useful to develop your soft skills as well, especially as everything is increasingly automated and repetitive tasks can be done by computers much better than we can. 
I think it's worth investing in your communication skills, in your negotiation skills, leadership, and just being a decent person to work with, to be honest. I think that's what it all boils down to. I know that I've realized that a lot in the last year of my working life, and I'm trying to become a, a better colleague, really. Hey, I've had to try and work with you on stocks and savings for the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say that. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I'm still here. Yeah, that is a very good point. But I think there's always been fear in history of jobs being wiped out by technology. And somehow new technology comes along and requires new jobs. And new skills. Well. And new skills. So you're right. I think it's just about keeping your eyes open for the opportunities that might arise to you know upskill yourself. Sometimes it's more obvious, like, you know, me and you, we both got our accountancy qualification, and that's something that's fairly sought after, and we feel quite comfortable knowing that, you know, there will always be a demand for accountants for some strange reason. Don't ask me to do your taxes, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know we're struggling to do our own. <laughs> but we also understand that it can be daunting to try and learn a new skill, particularly if it's outside your comfort zone. For example, I think we'd both be interested in learning a skill that's to do with computer programming or, or just that is more tech focused. But it just seems like a huge task. So maybe the first step is to see if you can get a qualification or a skill or something that, you know, you will always have that's kind of related to what you are doing right now and then see if you can branch out from that. And speaking of getting a new skill, one of the other ways that you can increase your income is through a side hustle. Uh, yes, I feel like we're part of the side hustling generation at the minute. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to make it clear that you don't have to have a side hustle to build wealth, but it could help if you do have the time and can manage it. I would argue that having a side hustle, if you have the time and can manage it, is probably the best way to increase your income in the short term. And I know this from experience over the last six months. Yeah, so if you do have some skills, so for example, you can be a graphic designer, you could go on Fiverr and advertise your work. Or, for example, you can become a tutor if you found that you were particularly good at maths <laughs> in uni. <laughs> Jamie. You know, <laughs> I, did, I, I did actually sign up for a tutor website thing Me when too. I was in uni. <laughs> Never did any of or you can do a more traditional side hustle like babysitting or dog sitting and any type of pet sitting, really. Or you can do as we did and start content creation on social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't even have to try and build up a brand like we did because, I mean, it took us about at least a year, probably close to a year and a half before we started to actually make some money from it. Yeah, and I think even the money that we're making now, I mean, it's not really much compared to the level of work that we're doing. So I think this type of side hustle, you couldn't really do it if you were in it just for the monetary aspect. But you could be a social media content creator or what is it, or social media manager, um, I think. The fiancé of one of my friends does social media management as a side hustle and I think it works out pretty well for her because I think it's just I don't know a couple of hours in the evening or maybe even just a few hours a week and it's just managing the social media sites for some companies and they're paying her to do that and she can just do it at home on her phone and earn a little bit of extra money. And finally one of our favorite side hustles is match betting. We actually tried it ourselves and made 800 pounds in one month. Jamie since you did maths at uni, do you want to explain <laughs> what it entails? Is that what qualifies me to explain <laughs> match betting? Pretty okay. much. Okay, well, the best way that I can put it is that it's using the free offers that you get from betting websites in order to make some money. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we've got two websites, I don't know, Labbrooks and Paddy Power, because they're two quite well-known ones. And let's say that Paddy Power is offering you £10 worth of free bets when you sign up. The problem is you can't sign up and withdraw that £10 as cash. You need to bet it first. So let's imagine there's a coin toss happening where if you get it right, you double your money. If you get it wrong, you lose all your money. I log on to Paddy Power and I put my free £10 bet on it being heads. I log on to Labbrooks and I use my own cash, £10, to bet that it will be tails. So what happens if it's heads? I will win on the Paddy Power account. I will double my free £10 bet and I'll get £20 
because I've bet it, I can now withdraw that £20, but I will lose the £10 cash that I bet on the Labrooks website, meaning I'll have made £10 profit. Similarly, if it's tails, then my £10 bet on the Labrooks website would get me an additional £10 in profit, and I haven't lost anything from the Paddy Power website because it's a free bet. So, I'll get £10 profit. It's an oversimplified example, but that is the basic concept about how match betting works, and yeah, I think it was December over the Christmas holidays that we managed to make a combined 800 quid from it, so it was really, it, it was more of a one-off for us, but I know people do it for, you know, months and months and months, but we found it's a great way to make a quick bit of cash over Christmas. Yes, exactly, and if we haven't mentioned yet, it's perfectly legal, and the income that you get from match betting, unlike from any other side hustles, is tax-free actually, which is a bonus. But yeah, if you want to know more about that, we do actually have a free match betting guide and you can find it in the link in our bio in our Instagram, which is at stocks and savings. So feel free to read about that in your own time and maybe give it a try as well. Yeah, there we explain it in a little bit more detail than just my uh, quick coin toss analogy. One other side hustle that I want to mention because it's something that I've always wondered about is working for something like Uber Eats or Deliveroo. Because I do like the thought of, I don't know, being able to go out for two or three hours in the evening just on my bike. Sure, be delivering food and, and get to wear a nice bright blue outfit. But uh, I don't know, that that's another idea that is probably quite quick to do, quite flexible. And you could do some exercise while you're doing it. Well, exactly. So, you know, if, if you do have the time to do these things, and we understand that not everyone does, I think particularly if you have a family, particularly if you have small kids, it can be a lot harder to do these things than if you're, you know, like us and, and it's just me and you, or if you're single. But these are some options that are out there if you're able to do them. Exactly. Now, we do prefer to talk more about ways through which you can increase your income, but in order to boost your savings, you can also decrease your expenses. Now, there is a limit to which... this on the web. Good for you, Siri. Now, there is a limit to which you can cut back on your spending, which is why we mostly prefer talking about increasing your income, but... We also appreciate that these are very hard economic times that we're going through. So I think we all probably have to take a closer look at our spending. So we would say to try and tackle the biggest items first. And because, you know, cancelling your Netflix subscription probably isn't going to change your life. And I think, you know, one of these big expenses that you have is housing. And again, what we're about to suggest may not be appropriate for everyone. You know, you might be sat here thinking that, you know, there's no way I can do that. And that's fine. You know, we don't expect these to work for everyone. But we just hope that there's one or two things in this podcast that can help you increase your income, cut your expenses and potentially increase your wealth and retire early. Exactly. Because we do want to help you invest and build wealth while enjoying life. And the last part is absolutely essential in our view. Exactly. So bear that in mind as well, whilst we're going through this kind of expense cutting section, you still need to be able to enjoy your life while doing this. You know, you don't want to be so restrictive that, that you're not getting any joy out of life. So yeah, be bear this all in mind because there are a few caveats. So we mentioned that housing is quite a big thing. So you might be able to move into a smaller house or a smaller flat or a flat with cheaper rent. Or similarly, you may be able to move into a similar size place in a cheaper area. And I think another suggestion that's possible, particularly with remote working, is actually the ability to move back home, which could save you a lot of money in the short run, but depends if you can cope living with your parents or parent. So a second big expense that people usually have is their car. So you could look at getting a cheaper, a smaller or an older car. But at the same time, if you get an older car, it might also be less energy efficient and might need more repairs, which might end up costing you more in the long run. I mean, you had this experience with your first car, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. My first car, it cost me 700 quid which was probably the first red flag because, you know, I'm not that old. I only bought it, what, seven or eight years ago. And I think the car itself was probably 15 to 20 years old. 
It lasted me nine months and I spent more than 700 quid on repairs to just try and keep it running. So when it comes to a car, I think it's quite useful to get something that's a little bit middle of the road. So it can still be cheap, but it needs to be good enough. And to be honest, you can never really know which cars are going to be good and which ones are going to cost you a lot of money. I was quite fortunate with my current car, which I downgraded recently. I moved from a uh, moved from an Audi to a very old Toyota Igo, I think it is. Yes. Which was my brother's car before he moved to Australia. And I paid, I think, £1,500 for the car. It's absolutely fine. You know, it's small, but it gets me, or it gets us, where we need <laughs> to go. And it's just run very smoothly so far. So as long as I can avoid having to pay for any significant expenses, then this car has saved me a lot of money because previously I was paying 200 quid a month for my car. Okay, now finally, when it comes to food and grocery shopping, you could look to switch to a, a cheaper supermarket. For example, we do most of our shopping in Aldi, but there's also Little and Costco, I think is great, although I've not, I've never actually been to it. Well, you need a membership. That's the only thing. Mm, oh, right. Yeah. So there's that. But you're right. It is meant to be good. And we went to Waitrose the other day to buy some desserts, which we probably shouldn't have. But I was just looking at the prices and going into Waitrose after having you know shopped in Audi for the last six months. Oh, my God. They're, they're crazy. I know. Like three desserts cost us 16 pounds, which is crazy. I was going to say, if, if, if you shop at Waitrose and you want to combat inflation and have a decent Audi or Lidl near you, just go there and trust me, things will magically halve in price. But then Wait- Waitrose is a very nice place to shop. Yeah, exactly. And you can also look to buy raw ingredients rather than pre-made meals or switch to leaner meat. I believe red meat is more expensive than turkey, for example. Or you can just eat less meat, which might be more healthy as well. Also, check out HelloFresh's offers. We use HelloFresh every single week. We're not going to plug our offer here. Well, we could. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fine. We'll plug our offer here. If you go to the link in our bio on Instagram, then you can get, I think it's £46 off your first few deliveries, something like that. Yes, and I think you can get your first box basically for free, and you can just try it. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, you can get a box of meals for a week, basically for free. It is really good. We do use it every single week. You know, we're not just plugging this for the sake of it. You know, this is something that actually we've been using, what, for the last year, at least? Or two. I think it's since the pandemic started, pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to kind of cut back on costs for one week, at least, and also get a variety of meals that are quite nice and easy to cook and fresh, then yeah, I, I, I would definitely say just try using that. So we've come up with quite a few ways that you can try and potentially increase your income and decrease your expenses. But let's remember why we are doing this. We're looking at the FIRE movement, which is financial independence and retire early. And the two things you need to do in order to achieve this is Firstly, be able to live a relatively frugal lifestyle, I would say, or at least that would make it a lot easier for you. So I think if you're happy not having material possessions, that's great. And if you are able to cut unnecessary expenses, that will make it a lot easier for you to cut down the amount of annual income you will need. And it means that you can retire earlier. And then the second part of that is increasing your income. So you can go and put that maybe towards investments like stocks and shares or towards real estate, basically anything that will build your wealth over time and will allow you to get even closer to your FIRE number, which is the total amount that you'll need to have saved up in order to retire. So I know we spoke for a while about increasing your income, cutting your expenses, but this is why we are doing it, because this is what will help you to achieve that financial independence and potentially retire early. Okay. Now, having said that, let's look at different types of fire. And these types of fire have some very fun names. Oh, like fire from a candle? No. Like fire from a lighter? Nope. Like fire from a... Ah, I'm out. Anyway. From a dragon? Anyway, the first type that we'll look at is coast fire. 
Coastwire means that you have enough money across your investment account such that without any further contributions, it will grow enough to cover the traditional retirement, which is in your 60s. This means you can effectively coast through your job knowing that you will achieve financial independence. Nice. Yeah, and if you achieve this in your 20s or 30s, it won't be a high number as you've got three to four decades of compounding ahead of you. Yeah, so I assume this is calculated using you know the assumption that on average an investment grows by about 8 to 10% a year, although as we know it can go for a very long time without doing that and those returns are all over the place. But it is very nice if you do manage to have invested enough money in your 20s or 30s such that if it does grow at 8 to 10% a year, you will hit your fire number. You will hit that lump sum that you are after for retirement. Exactly. Personally, I think it's the most achievable. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, we've not gone through the rest of them yet, but after we will. Uh, spoiler alert. You'll probably see. <laughs> okay, now the second type of fire is called the barista fire. This will most probably employ the 4% rule on your investments to calculate the value of your portfolio needed to cover basic living expenses. And you can work part-time as a barista or another low-stress job to cover the remaining expenses. Okay, so for example, let's say you wanted to withdraw £15,000 a year, which by our calculations, 15,000 multiplied by 25 is 375k, meaning that you'd have to have 375k saved up, you'd withdraw 15,000 pound a year, maybe a little bit less if you want to last for longer than 30 years, and then you would cover the remainder of the living expenses that you need by working a low stress job such as a barista. Although, to be fair, I feel like this is a bit harsh on baristas because there's a coffee shop near us and it's always so busy. Like, that does not look like a low-stress job to me. Yeah, especially during rush hour, like pe- when people are going to work. Well, exactly. So maybe it shouldn't be barista fire, but then what's, what's a more low-stress job that you can think of? Yoga teacher fire. So aside from debating the name of barista fire, have I got that right? Is that kind of like the gist of how it works? Yes, exactly. And I quite like this idea as well. Also because I think if I manage to have enough saved or invested to retire, I don't think I'd want to, you know, just not work at all. And if I had all this time to myself, I think I would probably miss the structure of having to work. So maybe a part-time job would actually be quite helpful to be able to get myself a bit more disciplined. Yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't even have to be a part-time job, but it can more be kind of like a passion project stroke business that you can start. I guess this barista fire, it almost enables you to spend your time in a way that you find the most fulfilling and not necessarily in a way that earns you the most money. And I think that would also miss the social interaction probably of going to work. Yeah. Okay. Moving swiftly on, we're on to lean fire. And this means that you have enough money in your investment such that using the 4% rule or something similar, you can cover basic necessities such as food, rent, transport, but there is no room for luxuries. You would be striving to live a frugal, minimalist lifestyle, but you'd have full control over how you spend your time. So is this almost like barista fire except... This type doesn't say that you need to have a part-time job. It basically just says you're living life off the grid, basically. You're, you're living a very frugal life. You're trying to minimize your expenses as much as possible, but you are free to do with your time as you please, depending on what your money allows you to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's worth pointing out as well, something that we haven't so far, is that When you're pursuing one of these strategies, it's probably important to have a partner that has the same values or at least understands these. Because I think if you wanted to pursue lean fire, for example, and live a very frugal life, I think it would be quite hard if your partner wasn't on the same page. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how you'd feel if I told you, oh, hey, I think we should buy a small cheap house in the middle of nowhere and we should maybe avoid holidays and... In terms of food, I think we should really cut down and basically have everything at the bare minimum. What would you say? Not my vibe. (laughs) 
So you really do have to get someone that is uh, on the same level, particularly if you want to pursue any more extreme version of this. But I think the general discussion that you have in relationships when it comes to, you know, fire or, or, or anything that's to do with saving for retirement is maybe you'll have one person that's like, we want to save the future, we want to be able to control our time going forward, you know, that's really important to me. And another person could say, yes, well, we're young, I want to live in the moment, you know, we could wake up and get hit by a bus tomorrow in which case you probably wonder why you're sleeping in a road, but you you get what I mean. So that's probably the most common difference that you would have. So, you know, if you want to talk about that, just chat about your values, chat about what matters to you, and know that there is no right or wrong way to manage your finances. Okay, that's all right, there are some very wrong ways, but not in this instance. Anyway, back to fires. Tell me, what's, what's the next spark? Our last type of fire is fat fire. Oh my. This is similar to the previous types of fire, but in this instance, you'd have enough in your investment accounts such that you can retire on a very comfortable, even luxurious lifestyle. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, it certainly sounds more attractive than lean fire. Obviously, this means that you'd have to make bigger sacrifices early on in life to be able to afford that. Yeah, so let's imagine you want to live this luxurious retirement and you want to have an income annually of £80,000 a year. Well, if we go back to the calculations, to find out how much you need, we'll take £80,000, we'll multiply it by 25, and that is £2 million. So unsurprisingly, twice as much that you would need to save up if you were to live off £40,000 a year. And saving up £2 million during your lifetime, that is a big number. Exactly. And I think this varies a lot on where you live as well. So £80,000 in London might not get you very much or certainly not as much as £80,000 in Bucharest, Romania would get you. And yes, I'm Romanian, if you're wondering why I picked that example. Now, we've gone through what the FIRE movement is through how you can calculate your FIRE number. And we've also looked at different types of FIRE. Now you probably have a pretty good understanding of what it is. Do you think this is a well-intentioned lifestyle movement? Or is this actually a sign of burnout, maybe, amongst millennials and Gen Z? Because this is a pretty new phenomenon, and as we said, it is actually quite hard to achieve that. You have to make pretty big sacrifices. So what do you think? I mean, it could be both. It could very well be both. Just for context, let's look at some statistics. Nearly half of Gen Z workers and 38% of millennials feel stressed all or most of the time, according to Deloitte's broad survey of 14,000 Gen Z and 18,000 millennials across 46 countries. And about 38% of Gen Z workers and a third of millennials have taken time off work to deal with anxiety and stress. And also about half of Gen Zs and millennials report feeling burnt out due to the ongoing intensity of their job demands and overall work environment. Don't you just love how efficient companies are these days? More troubling, perhaps, is that one in four millennials and one in five Gen Zs don't think their employer takes burnout seriously or is adequately working to address it. Okay, so that makes a pretty compelling case for burnout being a driver of this FIRE movement. Because, as I think we've highlighted, this is obviously quite a massive shift and it is a very tough goal to try and attain. So it has to be something big driving people. And maybe it is, you know, pushing from one side and pulling from the other. Maybe there is this level of burnout amongst the younger generations. And so the thought of working until you're 65 at least, which you know, for us is, is 40 years away, is just a thought that can fill many people with dread. I mean, particularly in their current roles. See, a lot of them are at a junior level. A lot of them, a lot of corporations can be quite micromanagey and you can feel a lot of pressure and, you know, it's not fun. So the thought of doing that for 40 years can be tough. But then there is the other side, which is the fact that we know that these younger generations are more interested in doing things that have a purpose. I mean, we're seeing that even reflected in corporations where the aim of a company these days is not 
necessarily just to deliver value for its shareholders, but to deliver value for all of its stakeholders. And this comes from the fact that more and more of the younger generation are caring about what they do. It's not just a case of work as hard as you can, make as much money as possible, but rather do that if you can, but is what I'm doing actually making a difference in the world? And so the ability to retire and spend the time however you want, even at an earlier age, and to be able to spend your time not necessarily working for a corporation that's just trying to, you know, bleed you dry almost, but working on something that you have a real passion for, something that you think makes the world a better place, and doing something where you feel you have a real good impact, that could also be a big driver of this movement. So you could definitely look at it from two different angles. And I'm not saying that all corporations are evil and all corporations are terrible and horrible and all jobs are awful. You know, there, there, there are some great companies, some great cultures and some great jobs out there. And we invest in some of those companies. And we invest in some of those companies. So obviously, you know, I want those companies to do well. Just in case I was making it sound a little bit too negative towards these corporations. But I'm just saying that I understand why there can be this feeling amongst some people from these generations. I definitely agree. And I think I see some of that in my own experience. So I started my financial journey about two years ago when the pandemic started. That's when we found out about investing and when we started our Instagram page as well. And at first, I was really motivated by reaching financial independence and retiring early by 40. I essentially wanted to retire from my nine to five and then be able to work on more meaningful projects. And my plan was to do this by having a nine to five, changing jobs pretty frequently and being promoted fairly frequently and also having a side hustle. But two years on and I realized that I'm kind of burnt out actually from doing all of those, from pushing myself quite hard. And I also realized that I'm pushing this goal of doing something meaningful with my life 15 years into the future when I could be taking steps to do something a bit more meaningful that or that I find a bit more meaning in right now or in a year. <laughs> Definitely not in, in um, 15 years. So yeah, I've had a bit of a mindset shift. I, you know, I don't want to start living when I'm in my 40s. I, I want to have a good, balanced and happy life now. So yeah, I, I wonder how many of these people who are pursuing fire are, are thinking maybe in the same way as I did. You know, maybe without thinking that they could take certain steps to improve their lives right now instead of in 15 years time. Yeah, I mean, you know, our, our mission is to help people invest and build wealth whilst enjoying life. And that last bit is key because you don't want to live your whole life just focused on your retirement. You don't want 20 or 30 years just to fly by and then you're like, hooray, I'm here. And now what? And yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm here and now I can retire. But God, those last 20 or 30 years have been painful. So it's all about keeping that balance. Now, I bet that there will be at least one person listening to all of this who thinks these millennials, these Gen Z, they're soft. They complain too much. You know, they don't know the meaning of hard work. And I'm not saying that this person is right or wrong. But if someone said that to you now, what would you say? Can I just say... <laughs> You look like you're delivering such an impassioned speech right now because I can see tears in your eyes. I know it's the hay fever. <laughs> but yeah. See, maybe we are soft. I start crying just at the thought of uh, at the thought of someone criticizing me. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised that this actually ended up being a question because it kind of did sound like you're making an impassioned speech, but then it's just like, oh, okay. I'm sorry, just the hay fever. I think there is that misconception out there, but I don't personally believe that to be true. I mean, millennials and Gen Z are the best educated generations out there, and they also work a lot. I think I've seen a stat on Instagram today that about 40% of millennials actually work a side hustle to make ends meet. Wow. 
I don't think that's lazy, <laughs> working two jobs. No, that's true. I just think our lives have been impacted by a lot of one-off, unprecedented events. So obviously, if you live in the US, it would have been uh, 9-11. Uh, then the financial crisis of 2008-2009 was felt across the globe. And obviously, there's been the coronavirus recession uh, in 2020. So that's all in the span of two decades. And because of that, I believe that millennials haven't had the same opportunity to accumulate wealth as earlier generations, for example. And they haven't had the same opportunities in that sense. For example, house prices have skyrocketed, but wages haven't kept up so that it's much harder to buy houses nowadays. And in the past, that was one of the main ways through which people accumulated wealth. Now, I'm not saying that you have to buy a house in order to build wealth. I think you can do that perfectly well with investing. But I'm saying is that that has been the case for many of the people from older generations. Yeah, and I also think that it does have a lot to do with millennials and Gen Z being more picky about how they spend their time, but also being more aware of everything that is kind of going on around them. I think that social media has really kind of proliferated this, you know, and, and we are a lot more aware of everything that goes on around the world. We're a lot more connected to everyone else. I know that um, people love to throw the word woke around. I'm not going to go into uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go into that. But I do think that we are just more picky with how we spend our time. And if there is the ability to spend our time doing more meaningful work, then it's quite easy to understand why that could be a big driver. And also bear in mind, in order to achieve this idea of early retirement or financial independence a lot of hard work is going to have to go into it up front yeah i mean we just went through it right exactly it doesn't seem easy to me so if you are looking at this from a, a cynical point of view i completely understand if you are because that that is a fair thought it's like you know why do these people just want to retire early why don't they want to work hard like the rest of us just understand that it takes a lot of work up front in order to obtain this Okay, and finally, I would like to discuss a topic that I've come across while doing research for this episode, and that is the privilege behind FIRE. So it's actually quite difficult to have a high savings rate, as we just discussed. And by high savings rate, you mean save a large amount of your income, right? Exactly. So the savings rate refers to the percentage of your salary that you put towards savings and investments. But it's obviously a lot more difficult to do that whilst on a low income. So should we acknowledge the privilege behind the FIRE movement? I do think it's fair to say that it's not something that can be achieved by everyone. I mean, if everyone in the world just went and retired early, that probably wouldn't be great for the economy. <laughs> I don't think we can rely on uh, automation and the machines to catch up and do everything. Yeah, I heard that, Elon. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I I do think that the FIRE movement is still, maybe it's been talked about a bit more, but it's still going to be attained by a very, very limited number of people in the context of, you know, everyone around the world. Mainly because not only does it require a lot of effort to be put in up front and a lot of hard work to be put in up front, but it does also require you to be earning a decent amount of money you know and I think th this is slightly on a tangent but I think it's very important to <laughs> realize that it is very possible to put in so much hard work into your job and still get paid very little and you know it's so possible to work 12 hour days six days a week and still only earn enough money just to keep scraping by and I would add that being on a low income is absolutely not reflective of the value that you provide to society, at least not necessarily. Like there are jobs such as nurses, for example, that don't get rewarded as much as maybe a lawyer would. No. But no one can deny that nurses provide such 
socially valuable service. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I would definitely say that there are jobs within corporations that provide significantly less value to the world and, and get paid so much more. But I mean, this is it's probably a topic for a different podcast. But going back to your point, you know, yes, in order to achieve this kind of, you know, financial independence and, and to achieve the ability to retire early, you do need to be bringing in a decent amount of money in order to do that. Now, obviously, we have suggested a few ways that you can potentially boost your income. But as I mentioned in you know the example of someone that's working 12 hours a day, six or seven days a week, and that's struggling to make ends meet doing that, you know, that's not necessarily going to be an option, at least not in the short term. So sadly, this isn't going to be available to everyone. I think if you're in a position where you earn enough to be able to save and invest a good amount a month, where the opportunity to retire early is actually feasible you know it it doesn't hurt to take a step back every now and again and think about how fortunate you are to be able to do that I think even in times like now where I'm looking at my investment portfolio that's almost been cut in half recently because of the volatile markets but then I still appreciate that I'm in the position to do that you know and I can say oh well I worked hard to do it but there's a lot of people that work harder than I do and don't get anywhere near the same rewards. Yes, so if you're sat there and you listen to this podcast and some of the points we made and you're thinking, well, I'll never be able to do that or that doesn't apply to me, you know, we realize that everyone has different circumstances and we realize that not everything will apply to everyone that's listening, but What I would like you to take away from this podcast is the importance of living below your means, if it's possible, and to save and invest regularly again, if you're in the position to do so. So with that said, and as we head towards the end of this episode, what is one key thing that you would highlight for people who have listened to this or people who have heard about the FIRE movement and think, I want to do that? What is your one top tip? I might have two, <laughs> but I'll start with one. Okay, go on. I might, I might let you have two. So the first thing is to start early. Start now, if it's possible, because in investing, time is really your best friend. If you start investing early, then compounding will do its thing over decades. Like You'd be surprised what even one pound could become in 50 years if you invested in something like the S&P 500. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. Obviously, he's a great investor, but it's no coincidence that he's one of the richest men in the world and has done so through his investments. And he started investing at, I think, was it age 13 or 11? 11. 11, And he's now 91. I want to say 91. So he has had 80 years of compounding. So while people are quick to attribute Warren Buffett's success to his intelligence. Which, to be fair, he doesn't necessarily attribute it to his intelligence. A big part of that is probably the length of time that he stayed invested. So I would urge you to start early, even if you don't have a lot of money or you can't put much towards it initially. You can start investing with as little as one pound nowadays. So don't underestimate what small amounts can end up being through the power of compounding all right go on what was your second tip i don't know if it's related necessarily to fire but oh never mind then i would i would say to start living now and in the moment don't necessarily wait 15 years to do something just because you have this perfect plan of how you retire early and save the dolphins when you're 40 Start doing now. Start taking small steps towards improving your life. Develop meaningful relationships with uh, the people around you. Um, Go to therapy to improve uh, your mental health. Go outside. Take up exercising. Start a hobby. Try to contribute to the community around you. Or maybe do some charity work to get that sense of fulfillment. 
you know, you don't have to wait until you're finally retired to be able to contribute to society and to the lives of those around you. Okay, fine. Glad, glad I let you make that second point. Okay, so I kind of cheated saying to you <laughs> tips. So tell me, what is your top tip then? So I'm going to start with a question. Picture yourself in 10 years time. How different do you think you're going to be? Actually, Andre, you can answer that for yourself. How, how different do you think you'll be in 10 years time? Well, to be honest, I'm I'm 26 now. I feel like I've already formed my personality and everything. So not that different. Okay, so the next question is, how different are you from the person you were 10 years ago? Oh, God, I was 16. I mean, loads. <laughs> I, I don't even think I'm the same person anymore, even though I look the same. So maybe there's a little bit more extremeness in your answer because 16 is still fairly young. But... I can guarantee that most people have said that in 10 years' time, they probably think they'll be quite similar to how they are now. But if they look back at who they were 10 years ago, they can see a massive difference. So I'm here to break it to you that in 10 years' time, you will probably be pretty different, and your values, your goals, your beliefs may not have necessarily completely changed, they certainly will have evolved and developed. So I think that's something to bear in mind when you're trying to take this approach to, you know, retire early or achieve financial independence, is the fact that in 10 years' time, your priorities may have shifted dramatically. So I think it's very important to make sure that whatever you try and do now, you believe will be sustainable. Because if it's too extreme, the odds are when your priorities shift later on in life, which they undoubtedly will, you will struggle to keep up or at least accept that that might happen and say, you know what, I'm going to go really hard at it now for a few years and I'm going to ease up a little bit. So just make sure that whatever you do, it is sustainable because your priorities will undoubtedly change, but you do want to make those changes. But to be fair, anything you do working towards financial independence will help build your wealth over the long run and that can only be a good thing. Right, thank you. That was a great tip. Thank you. And I think that's a great tip to end this episode on. So there you have it. A quick summary of the FIRE movement, how you can go about achieving it, and our thoughts. I'd be curious to hear what you think about the FIRE movement. Feel free to message us on Instagram, which, again, is at Stocks and Savings. Also, feel free to message us any feedback or ideas that you might have. I'm mentioning Instagram a lot because that is where we post daily investing and finance tips, so follow us on there if you haven't already. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review as it would really help us reach more people. See you next time!